Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable Series, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Sopon Batumratberg, Senior Associate at Pride Sanon in Thailand. Each year, we kick off our program with a special series of the year in review programs, broken down by regions and focusing on the most impactful regulations of the past year, important topics that will impact employers in the coming year. Today, we are connecting our member firm from Taiwan. Joining us on the program is Elizabeth Pai, Senior of Council at Li Zai and Partners. Welcome, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure having you on our program. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. I think everyone wants to know now what were the most significant legal changes in 2023 that impacted employers in Taiwan. You can tell us about what the most impactful changes in law for employers was last year that impacted employers. Okay, several amendments of the Act of Gender Equity in Employment went into effect in August this year. First, the Act defined the abuse of power sexual harassment as an individual exploiting their power or opportunity to engage in sexual harassment of another who is under their command or supervision in relation to employment, job hunting, or performance of their duties. The Act further authorized the court to impose a penalty of one to three times the amount of damages claimed by the victim. And if the harasser is highest ranking official of the company, for example, a CEO of the company or the employer, the victim may request a penalty of three to five times the amount of damages. Second, The amendment also requires stronger internal complaint mechanism as well as the establishment of an external complaint channel. While the victim of a sexual harassment event should make the complaint to the employer if the harasser is the highest ranking official or the employer or the employer fails to handle the complaint or the victim is dissatisfied with the employer's investigation or disciplinary result, the victim may report the complaint to the local competent authority instead. The employer should also pay particular attention to the following changes effective March 8th of the coming year. First, before the amendment, the Act required that employers with at least 30 employees to establish a sexual harassment complaint channel and publicize information about the channel in their workplace. The latest amendment has reduced the threshold to employers with at least 10 or more employees. Second, prior to the current amendment, an employer is only required to implement immediately effective corrective and remedial measures Upon becoming aware of a sexual harassment incident, a new provision is added to require the employer to also report the incident to the local competent authority upon receiving a sexual harassment complaint from a victim. And 
the employer must report to the local competent authority the result of its handling of the incident. The details of the reporting obligation are still being worked on by the Ministry of Labor and should be published in March of the coming year. There's also no corresponding penalty provision to address an employer's failure to comply with the above reporting obligation at this time. As such, continued observation is needed to see how the competent authority will enforce this new obligation. Besides, according to the Act, in the event the accused harasser holds a position of power in a serious sexual harassment matter and thus needs to be suspended or moved away from their position during the investigation, the employer may temporarily suspend or adjust the accused harasser's job position. Compensation may also be suspended during a temporary suspension. If the investigation shows that the accused did not engage in sexual harassment, the unpaid compensation during the suspension period should be remitted. The Act also provides that in the event the accused harasser is the highest ranking official or the employer, in consideration that it may be difficult to maintain an appropriate distance between the complaint and the accused at the workplace. The complaint may, at the duration of the investigation by the local competent authority, request in an adjustment to the complaint's position or work type until 30 days have passed since the employer received the investigation results. The employer may not refuse such a request from the complaint. Violator of this new rule may result in a fine of 10,000 new Taiwan dollars to 50,000 new Taiwan dollars. In addition to the amendment to the Act of Gender Equity in Employment, the employer is also suggested to pay attention to the guideline issued by the Minister of Labor in 2023. Previously, the Labor Standards Act and the interpretation circular from the Ministry of Labor only require wage payments to be made at least once per month without any rules on the date of wage payment. This has led to instances of employers setting the payday too long after the employee has completed rendering labor services. To address this issue, the Ministry of Labor released the guiding principles on the wage payment day and the wage payments as agreed between the employer and the employee on February 9th, 2023, to set down rules on when the employer should set the payday and the frequency of wage payments. For example, if the wage payment date is more than 15 days after the day, the wage calculation basis period ends the local competent authority should immediately guide the employer to rectify the situation. The Ministry of Labor's target is for all employers to set the payday to be within 10 days of the end of the wage calculation basis basic period by the end of 2024. What are your predictions for 2024 in terms of employment law updates or changes anticipated to have the biggest impact on HR? 
You can tell us what employers should be paying attention to in the coming year. Employers should pay attention to the legal issues associated with the employer of record (EOR) or the professional employer organization (PEO) arrangement. We are noting a gradual increase in multinational entities looking to recruit manpower from Taiwan, in particular firms providing EOR or PEO services. The use of such services in Taiwan, however, requires paying attention to some legal issues. Here are matters that the company looking to use the EOR PEO services should be aware of. First, a common practice that we see in a company deciding on an individual that it wishes to recruit first and then requesting a labor dispatch entity means EOR or PEO entity to dispatch that individual as that individual's employer under law. Under such circumstances, the Labor Standards Act provides that individual the right to require the company to enter into an employment agreement with the individual within 90 days after the commencement of providing labor service to that company. Second, while the labor dispatch entity, the PEO or EOR entity, would be penalized by the competent authority under the Labor Standards Act for failure to timely pay wages to the individual concerned, the dispatched individual has the right to request the company to pay their wages instead, and the Labor Standards Act sets a 30 days time limit for the company to make payment after the dispatched individual has made above wage payment request. Third, the company and the labor dispatch entity are jointly responsible for the occupational safety of the dispatched individual according to the Labor Standards Act. In addition, according to the Companies Act of Taiwan, a foreign company that would like to conduct business operation in Taiwan is required to establish a presence in Taiwan. If the dispatched individual is conducting business in Taiwan on behalf of a foreign company who has not yet established a branch office in Taiwan, the foreign company and the individual concerned would be at risk of certain legal liabilities. Elizabeth, I think the labor dispatch is very interesting topics. Do you have any suggestion a company using dispatch labor may have to deal with how to best prevent its dispatch employees from either internationally leaving their position for a competitor or being poached by a competitor. In addition to the confidentiality agreement, the company may consider the following arrangements. The company may consider stipulating its dispatch service contract with the labor dispatch entity that for a certain period of time, the labor dispatch entity is restricted from dispatching certain individuals to work for particular employers. And the company may also consider have a separate agreement with particular dispatch individual that the individual should, for a certain period of time, refrain from providing labor services to particular companies including being directly hired 
by those companies or dispatched to provide labor services via a labor dispatch entity. A related concern here is that since the company is the de facto employer of the dispatched individual, the agreement above may need to comply with the rule on post-employment non-compete obligation under the Labor Standards Act. Currently, Taiwan judicial practice remains in flux on this point, and companies are advised to pay attention to the future developments. Of course, the company may consider directly hire the individual without using a labor dispatch services. This would allow the parties to directly stipulate post-employment non-compete obligations in the employment agreement. We have also identified the measures that the labor dispatch entity, the PEO or EOR entity, should be aware of. First, according to the Labor Standards Act, a labor dispatch entity should enter into an employment agreement with a non-fixed term with the dispatched individual as the employer of the dispatched individual under the law. Upon the termination of the dispatch agreement with the company using the dispatch service, the labor dispatch entity may not turn around and also terminate the employment agreement with the dispatched individual. Terminations must comply with the grounds for termination under Article 11 or Article 12 of the Labor Standards Act. Second, as mentioned above, a foreign company who is conducting business in Taiwan through the use of dispatched individual providing labor services in Taiwan will be required to establish a presence in Taiwan. Otherwise, both the foreign company and the dispatched individual will incur certain liability. We cannot preclude the possibility that the labor dispatch entity and or its personnel in Taiwan may also be found by a court and or a competent authority to assume certain legal liability as well. Furthermore, given that restrict control in Taiwan law imposed on PRC investors conducting business in Taiwan, if the company is a PRC investor, the labor dispatch entity must also take into consideration of the restrictions on PRC investment. Third, although providing labor dispatch services do not require special license or permits in Taiwan, other than those related to the establishment of a company, such as tax registration, if the services provided cover employment services, such as human resource brokerage services, a license is required. In addition, the Employment Service Act provides certain limitations on the hiring of foreign individuals, one of which is a company hiring under its own name a foreign individual to provide labor services to another. This is to prevent an entity from unlawfully using its name only to apply for permission to hire a foreign individual while having no intention to receiving labor services from that foreign individual. Violation of the above rule is punished by a fine and the repeat 
offenses within five years will result in criminal liability. A question arises as to whether the foreign individual here means only those the employer must procure a work permit for them before they may work in Taiwan. The law is silent on this issue, and the competent authorities have not officially issued any relevant circulars. Finally, in actual practice, there have been instances of labor dispatch entities stipulating in its employment agreement with dispatch individual that restrict those individuals from taking a position with a client company within a certain amount of time after leaving the labor dispatch entity. This would, in theory, prevent the dispatched individual from leaving the labor dispatch entity and getting directly hired by the client company immediately after being dispatched to provide labor services there thereby causing the labor dispatch entity to lose that company as a client. Nevertheless, based on current judicial practice in Taiwan, we believe there is some risk to assert the loss of a client company by the labor dispatch entity in a aforementioned fashion constitute a proper business interest to be protected via a post-employment non-compete agreement. That's very clear, Elizabeth. I think in terms of preparations, and what can or should employers be doing right now to stay in compliance or prepare for an anticipated new regulation? If the employer has at least ten employees, an internal sexual harassment complaint channel needs to be established and publicly announced in the workplace. If the employer has at least 30 employees, sexual harassment prevention measures, complaint, and disciplinary regulation must also be established and publicly announced in the workplace. Besides, the employer should review internal wage payment regulation to ensure the payment frequency, payment day are compliant with the Ministry of Labor's guiding principles. Finally, for business engaged in the use of EOR or PEO human resource arrangements or provide labor dispatch-related services, must pay attention to the labor dispatch employment service rule under Taiwan law. In particular, the requirement for a company to establish a local presence means a branch or subsidiary before conducting business in Taiwan under the company's name. Elizabeth. This has been a very interesting discussions and especially helpful for employers in Taiwan. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Sophong, and good to be on the podcast. If you would like to connect with Elizabeth, please click on her bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the EOA website at eoa.law or download our app by searching Employment Law Alliance in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Additionally, check out training.ela.law to access our training portal featuring online harassment prevention programs and much more. Information about all the programs available in the Year in Review series and other resources are available on the event landing page at eoa.law. You have been listening to the Employment Law Year in Review Regional Roundtable, a series. 
brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Sopon Batumrat Burgun. Thanks for listening.